right. Thank you very much, ladies, for that. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. <clears throat> you know, I don't know. I, I really appreciate how we do the Lord's table around here. Um, you know, I've grown up uh, doing the Lord's table, the church I grew up in, and um, I'm certainly thankful for every time we have an opportunity to remember um, his broken body and the blood that he shed. But there's something about getting a chance to just, instead of just having music playing and getting distracted sometimes by, oh, they really did that really well on the piano, um, it's nice to be able to just focus our attention on the Lord, uh, to really focus in and our hearts on what he did. And I find it's a time where meditating on the love of Jesus and the blood that he spilled draws my heart out to him. Um, you know, we love him because he first loved us. And if you're ever struggling with loving Jesus, just think about what he did for you and think about how much he loved you and the extent to which he was willing to go for you. And um, the blood of Jesus is uh, just a representation of that. I think that fits in somewhat with what I'd like to talk to you about here uh, this morning. If you could turn in your Bible with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. I want to give you a message I haven't preached before, um, but I've done a lot of studying. I've done a lot of thinking about this. Uh, I wrote an entry uh, for a... Um, uh, for a devotional booklet uh, that one of our graduates had actually put out a couple of years ago uh, on this chapter. And um, as I was meditating on what the Lord would have me to speak, I thought, you know, I think this content and this chapter is what we need right now, not just as a student body in general, but especially looking forward to the event uh, that's coming up next week, the V Generation Youth Summit. Uh, back at the seminary retreat, I challenged the seminarians uh, with a challenge of extreme ownership. Uh, my burden for them was that they not only own their walk with God, but they own their influence among the student body um, and that they are intentional about making a difference in those that God has placed into their realm of influence. Um, but you know, as we look forward to next week and as we look at the V Generation Youth Summit, I hope you're thinking about it differently than maybe you did before. Because this year, we've got many of you, well, everyone is going to be involved in a soda squad in one way or another. I need to get together with you soda squad leaders uh, very soon, actually. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of my heart for that, kind of as an introduction to what we're going to be talking about uh, here this evening. The soda squads are small, and our goal is eight-man groups or eight-woman groups of not only you as the Soda Squad leader or you as a student at BCM, but of course our guests are gonna be a part of those groups as well. There's a lot of fun things we're gonna do. I can't remember if I've announced this or not, but there are gonna be the subcategories of the different sodas. Um, so say one is gonna be uh, Coke Zero. So you guys get to cheer for the fact that you are not three, not two, not one, but zero, however you wanna handle that. <laughs> So that'll be great. Um, you know, of course, Baja Blast or Livewire. I don't remember all of the specific subcategories that we chose. Um, but you know, the point of that is not just to give you another opportunity to come up with some kind of a different cheer or something like that. Uh, it's for you to be able to know who you're to focus on in your prayers. It's for you to know who you are to focus on in your, uh, in your influence. It's for you to know who to own of the young people that come uh, to this event. 
And uh, I'm really excited because I think sometimes when we look at a team that's as big as, you know, 80, 90 people, it's hard to own anybody. <laughs> and it's easy for young people to slip through the cracks. You know, I didn't really notice them. They just kind of kept to themselves and we never got a chance to step into their lives and, hey, what's God doing in your heart this week? Hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can talk to you about? You know, hey, I'm praying for you. And this way, you've got probably five or six young people that you are to own um, and you are to be committed to their personal breakthrough. I am so excited about this. But you know, I guess as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, really what we're after this week, and as much as we can have organization, um, and as much as we can designate to you who you are spiritually responsible for, why shouldn't that happen if we didn't have the organization? <laughs> uh, is really the organization itself going to solve everything? Are we going to be able to commit ourselves to the success of others without, when there isn't an organized group that we're responsible for? And uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about something that's absolutely essential to your spiritual success. I want to talk about essential love here this morning. Now, I, it's my opinion that uh, one of the greatest enemies of the church is familiarity. <laughs> um, uh, when it comes to terms and when it comes to passages. I think a lot of times we hear something like love and we just assume that we know what that means. Maybe we've got this little memorized definition that you learned in some, you know, some program or some book and you just kind of, oh, I know what that means and you spout out the definition. I think sometimes we feel like we're very familiar with passages. So we skim it because we just assume that we know what it means. Um, and I think sometimes because we assume that we know what either terms mean or what passages are talking about, we give no serious time or effort to study and to, medita uh, and to meditation. And in doing so, we sacrifice treasure for the topsoil. <laughs> um, and what I want to do here is uh, in this passage, I really, uh, Lord willing, I want to cover the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and I want us to see this chapter, this passage that's been called the love chapter. But I think even in calling it the love chapter, um, I think many times we miss the point. The point of the chapter definitely is love. Um, but we have all kinds of pre-understandings about love, about what it means, about what it looks like, and even being familiar with the passage. I think sometimes we think, oh, kind of love does this, you know, love's important, you know, love's the greatest thing. Yeah, sure, we know that. Um, sure, I should love, and I probably don't love like I ought to, but you know, whatever. But to be honest with you, according to this chapter, love is absolutely essential. This chapter tells us that love, it is the criterion by which God judges us. Love is uh, the catalyst, the real and only true and meaningful, lasting catalyst for sacrifice in our lives. And love is really the climax of spiritual growth. 
So I want to take some time here this morning. I want to talk to you about essential love, but let's just ask God's blessing before we dive here into the passage. Lord Jesus, I ask, I, I feel weak this morning. I know this passage, and I know the burden that you've put on my heart. I just ask that you would give me not the words to say so much as the heart to communicate. I pray, God, that you'd help me clearly um, explain this chapter. I pray that you would help me apply in a way that's going to be helpful. And I pray beyond just the delivery, beyond just um, having clear content, I ask and beg for your hand to be upon this session as we talk about this here this morning. I pray, God, you'd fill me with the Holy Ghost. I can't deliver this like I should. I don't even feel like I exemplify this like I should. But God, I ask that you would let your word speak, cut it loose, and may it um, cut us to the heart. May it diagnose where we're really at. May these words in this passage be a reality check for me and for everyone in this room. And I pray, God, that as we assess, as we do business in our hearts, you would lead us to find the love that you offer through Jesus. And uh, I pray, God, that you change our hearts uh, to truly exemplify this essential quality in our lives and this coming week at the Youth Summit. So, Lord, won't you attend this meeting? I pray that you give me your anointing and your unction. Anoint me to speak and anoint these young people to hear. And bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, love is something I think we get a lot of different ideas about. I think when we think of love, we think of permissiveness. And that's not love. I think most of us here in this room understand that. I think sometimes when we think of love, we think of an emotion as a particular um, uh, feeling, whether it's here or here or wherever you picture love in your torso. Uh, but love is not a feeling or a burning sensation somewhere in your gastrointestinal system. Uh, love, I, I think, is not even... And this may run uh, counter to maybe some of the way we define love. Run isn't even just an action, though love in its essence always results in an action. Love is a perspective. Love is a perspective that drives us to action. And I want you to see here in this passage, love is something that I believe will determine your success or failure in the eyes of God. I want us to look at verse 1 in chapter 13. Paul spells it out here in these first three verses. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Do you know? It's possible to surpass all others in the exercise of spiritual abilities and to miss love. Look at verse 2. He says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am Nothing. Did you know that it's possible to know all about what God's doing and to depend on God for great things and to miss love? Do you know that? That's what it's saying. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, wow, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Did you know it's possible to sacrifice oneself? 
Let me say this again. Do you know that it's possible to sacrifice oneself and one's resources for the good of others and to miss love? That's what it's saying. You know, I think we've got a picture in our minds of certain qualities and characteristics that trump all others. Listen, we talk, and we rightly should, about faith around here. And you know what? Faith is essential. Faith is absolutely necessary. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please Him. You can't please God without faith. But you know what? According to this passage right here, you can't please Him without love either. In fact, God's estimation, the criterion according to these three verses by which He judges us is not faith. It's love. Uh, specifically, I want you to focus on what it says, the first one. He says, if I don't have love, even though, listen, I could talk real good, I'm like as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Listen, to miss out on love is to have sound without substance. Did you know that? The, the next verse at the end, he says, if I don't have charity, I am nothing. Listen, to miss out on love is to feel important, but in fact, to be nothing. The end of verse 3. And have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. To miss out on love is to feel successful, but to have succeeded in nothing. I'm not giving you my opinion here. I'm just looking at what it says. Love is essential. Love is absolutely essential. And I think as we examine our lives and we examine why we do what we do every day, listen, you need to depend on God. You know me. <laughs> you need to surrender your life and be willing to sacrifice. But I think at the end of the day, we've got to also ask ourselves the question, why am I depending on God? Why am I surrendering to him? Why am I expecting big things from God? In the book of Corinthians, uh, Paul was addressing a group of people that they thought they knew what it meant to be spiritual. They thought they knew what it meant um, uh, to show all the, uh, the wow factor as far as their worship services. They sure knew how to please a crowd. They knew how to showboat their own spiritual performance. But as we see from chapters 8 all the way through to chapter 14, though they had their rights, though they had their issues, they felt like, hey, man, nobody could fault me for insisting on these things. Um, though they were a body and intricately connected to one another, this was a group of people that though they appeared to be spiritual, though they appeared in many ways to be successful, they lacked love. And really the lack of love is probably really the teeth of the sermon today because when I'm preaching about love, when I'm preaching on love, when I'm preaching for love, what I'm actually preaching against is selfishness. I think sometimes when we think of love, we think the opposite of love is hate. But you know, that's not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. The primary concern for number one. And you know what? I want you to know some of the most selfish people on the face of the planet are college students. 
You're here at Baptist College of Ministry to learn, to gain knowledge, and that's good. That's so good. You need knowledge. You can't do what God has called you to do without knowing stuff, without knowing Greek, perhaps. <laughs> yes, that's right. By the way, um, Mr. Himes, our Greek class on their uh, verb review test scored the highest class average in my personal experience, seven grade points higher in their class average than any previous class. So shout out to Mr. Hines. He's doing a great job in first year Greek. But you know what? There's a lot we're learning about. And you know what? I think that you didn't just come here to BCM to learn facts and figures and to learn about the Bible. I think you also came here to learn faith, Right? I mean, that's one thing that I'm so grateful for here is that we learn how to depend on God. You're put into pressurized situations. You're put in, into impossible situations, whether that's studying for that Greek quiz on Friday morning or whether that's getting all of your assignments done during the crazy Christmas season or whether that's learning how to manage and juggle academics and, and life and a job and a family and all kinds of crazy things. You are put to the test. You are, your face is ground into the dirt sometimes. So you look up to God to find deliverance but you know what can happen is in the pursuit of knowledge in the pursuit of a life of dependence on the Lord it can be all about me and that is not love that is not pleasing to God see love in its core essence is the deep rooted concern for the well-being of others over and above ourselves. Um, I, I want to, we're going to see this exemplified in uh, the coming verses, because really from verse 4 through the beginning of verse 8, he, he doesn't so much define love as he shows us what love does, um, how love acts. Um, these are evidences of love, or if I can maybe flip that around and say it a different way, love is the catalyst that causes these verbs to happen in your life. I think sometimes in my own past, I've looked at these, uh, these, these verses, verse 4, oh, charity suffereth long, it's patient. Okay, if I want to be loving, I got to be patient. But you know, that's, that's, that's kind of flipped around. That's not really the way we ought to look at it. Um, you know, okay, if we've got love, okay, okay, um, if I want to be loving, I've got to be kind. If I want to be loving, I can't envy. If I want to be loving, I can't, you know, vaunt myself. I can't be puffed up. Um, you know, love, if I want to love, I can't do these things, or I need to start doing these things. But I want you to know, to jump to the verbs and to miss the catalyst, the catalyst, is to really miss out on the heart of this chapter and what he's aiming for. Um, uh, positively speaking, I want us to look at verses 4. It says, charity suffereth long. I want you to know that love is enduring. Love endures, okay? Real love, the, the motivation of the good of other people recognizes the fact that their good may not be accomplished in a moment. It recognizes the fact that though they may have just slighted me, though they may have just hurt me, I'm going to be in it for the long game with them. I'm not going to lose my cool right now, but I'm going to endure. You see that? It's not saying if I want to love, I have have to be patient. It's if I have that 
essential love in my heart, if I genuinely care about them more than me, I will endure. Do you follow me? You follow what I'm trying to say here? Love endures. If you've got love, if this is your perspective, you will endure. But if you're selfish, you won't. If you're selfish when your dorm mate <laughs> leaves his socks where they shouldn't be, you won't be patient. You may have to write him a demerit, and that's fine. <laughs> if you're uh, allowed to write demerits, that is. Um, <clears throat> but you know what? Love endures people. It recognizes the fact that, listen, we're not done yet. It endures. And you know what it also does? It says, and is kind. You know, it also endows. <laughs> you know, kindness is, uh, it is adding worth and value to somebody else through your actions. You know, I, I think sometimes it's really, really tempting for us because of a selfish perspective in the midst of our crazy academics to just be focusing on adding value to our grade or our bank account. Because, of course, you've got to pay your bill. But did it ever occur to you that you may not be here for the grade? And I know you're not here for the money. <laughs> but you're here to add value to others. You know, the perspective of love recognizes the fact I'm not here for me. I am here for the good of my classmate sitting next to me who's maybe struggling in that class. I'm here to add value to that other person, that other townie that I happen to know are struggling right now. I'm here to add value to them, to through my actions show kindness and goodness to them by having their best interests in mind. Um, it endures and it endows uh, neg negatively speaking, uh, he kind of switches to the negative here. He says, it envieth not, it vaunteth not itself, it is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly. Um, love doesn't begrudge the fact that they got a soda squad position and you didn't. It doesn't begrudge the fact that uh, they got a better grade on that quiz than you did. It doesn't begrudge the fact that they're in with so-and-so and you're not. It doesn't begrudge the fact um, that uh, they have this privilege or this right or this car or this phone. It doesn't begrudge anything because, again, remember, the root essence. Its primary concern, love's primary concern is for the good of others. And if I switch that around, and if my focus is on myself, well, then, of course, I'm going to be envious. I'm going to be upset when things go better for other people. But if I am primarily concerned about things going better for other people, guess what's going to happen when things go better for other people? Amen! They got the 10S! I'm grateful for them! That's awesome. Um... He, uh, he goes on, he says, so it envieth not, uh, it, it vaunteth not itself. You know what? Uh, it doesn't brag. It doesn't feel the need to walk around and brag to everybody what grade you got on that test. Because you know what? It's not about you anyway, right? That's, what, that's the perspective of love. It's not about me. Um, it's about the good of others. 
You know, it doesn't have to brag about the fact that, oh, I get the chance to go on this group and go and travel and do this. It doesn't brag about the fact of, you know, hey, I, I got this, I did that. It, it's not about itself. Love is not selfish. It doesn't brag. Um, it says uh, it's not puffed up. It doesn't balloon. It's another B, you know, that's okay. <clears throat> Just wait till you get to the next one. Um, you know, I think sometimes we like to give a, a far better impression of who we are than we really are. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and listen, you all dress sharp because you're required to. <laughs> Some of you maybe wouldn't, I don't know. But, but you know, I think sometimes we try to give a certain image about ourselves. And listen, we have to have a good testimony. And that's why we require the sharpness of dress. And I'm not preaching against being sharp, a sharp dresser, okay? I don't want Pastor Swanson tackling me on the stage here. Um, <clears throat> and I'm not even necessarily, I'm not arguing for being down in the mouth either. But I am arguing against being fake. Because fakeness doesn't help anybody. Um, you know, for you to say and to just kind of puff yourself up, not only in your own mind, but also in the image that you are imaging to other people. Um, it, it, don't you see that's all about you? It's being primarily and firstly concerned about what people think of you. Are, are you following me here? But a person who's first and foremost concerned about the good of others, they don't need to puff themselves up. They don't need to balloon themselves because it's not about me anyway. Doth not, behave, doth not behave itself unseemly. Okay, so love doesn't begrudge, brag, balloon, or belch. That's unseemly. I feel bad even saying that word from the pulpit here. But you know what? <clears throat> I think sometimes... Um, and, and it, as, as kind of funny and humorous as this is, I think sometimes guys, particularly, um, one of the ways that they vaunt themselves or show off is by being unseemly, by doing crazy things to get people to think a certain thing about them. You follow what I'm saying? I just want you to see that's a focus on self too. It's just another way for somebody uh, to be more concerned about themselves than for others. I find unseemly people, people who've done unseemly things are really greatly insecure inside and they have a need to validate themselves. And if they can't validate themselves in the eyes of other people seriously, well then at least they can make other people think that they're funny or crazy or um, uh, you know, that they can just kind of on a dime, maybe that they're witty or a number of other things, but I want you to know that's a focus on self. I'm not arguing against being funny, uh, but why do you do what you do? Again, I want to get back to the root essence here. It's the supreme concern and motivation for the good of others. Um, he says here, um, it says in the next verse, or in the beginning of verse 5, seeketh not her own. Um, in fact, I have this written down, love is not preoccupied with the interest of the self, which perhaps best captures the essence of the activity of agape, as Paul uses it. In other words, love is not just the occasional or even regular sacrifice of oneself for another, because we've seen you can do that and miss love. But instead, it involves the deepest motivations in the daily decisions of life. 
Um, <clears throat> uh, the next phrase here um, is not easily provoked, uh, is a provoking phrase here. Um, uh, a commentator said this, the English word peak combines the same range of nuances as the Greek, something between irritation and anger, which takes offense because one's self-regard has been dented, wounded, or punctured by some sharp point. Love, Paul urges, does not become exasperated into peak, partly because patience delays exasperation, and partly because lack of self-interest diverts a sense of self-importance away from reacting on the grounds of wounded pride, is not embittered by injuries, whether real or supposed. So what he's saying here is this, listen, the self-focus gets offended when somebody crosses you. It takes up offense. But if you're concerned about that person who just offended you, if your primary burden is for their ultimate good, it'll roll off your back like water off a duck. You know, I'm convinced that one of the great reasons why people get bitter about things is because they're all about themselves. Because <laughs> if we truly evidenced love in our hearts and in our lives, uh, we wouldn't be easily provoked. Um, he goes on, he says, uh, thinketh no evil. Uh, where is that? Um, yeah, thinketh no evil, the end of verse 5. Um, love doesn't think evil, but perhaps even better said, it doesn't keep score. It doesn't reckon evil. In other words, love does not chalk things up to evil intentions. Have you ever had this happen to you where so-and-so did something and maybe the action that they did itself wasn't wrong, but you sat back and thought, I know why they did that. I know why they said that. They hate me. <laughs> I can't believe it. See, love, don't you see how focused on self that is? It's so focused on self that you are inventing things that other people are thinking or are motivated uh, to do against you and to, cause, to, to have offense against them. Listen, if you were most concerned about the good of others, you wouldn't be uh, keeping score. <laughs> Listen, when you all end up getting married one day, this is going to be huge. This is going to be absolutely massive. Listen, if you keep score against your roommate, Come on, that's the fifth time this week you left toothpaste in the sink. Fifth time, really? Really? Come on, man. That, come on, you say that every week to me. You see, this keeping score is something, listen, if you don't get love in your heart, this selfishness will come out in your marriage and it will create great tension. Um, it thinketh no evil. Um, I, let me just put it this way. Love is important. So important, in fact, that one could have everything but love and truly have nothing and be nothing. Love is so concerned in its deepest motivation about others rather than self that it bears up under incredible pressure and always responds in kindness. It never boils or brags because it is not about self. Its deepest motivation is for the other. Because its core motivation is for another when self is injured, it does not react in anger and refuses to account ill will to the other person. I want you to see here, as much as love is the criterion for how God judges us, it is the catalyst that causes these verbs to happen 
in and through our lives. There's a couple more I want to focus on here. Um, it says uh, next, verse 6, charity, I'm sorry, uh, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Um, love takes no pleasure in someone else's failure and delights in integrity and reality. If the situation is bad, love wants to help. If the situation is good, love wants to celebrate. It wants no hidden interests, which disguise truth as something which it is not. Uh, verse 7, beareth all things. Love is always supportive. Believeth all things. It never stops trusting or expecting the best. In uh, hopeth all things. Love never gets disillusioned. Uh, endureth all things. Love never writes anyone off. How many times have you written somebody off? That's not love. You know, we need to have, we need to have the perception that I want the good of others and I'm going to be determined for the good to happen to others around me. Now, now here's, here's the perspective that I found on this that, that has been helpful to me. Love isn't something you resolve to do better. <laughs> yes, it must be pursued. We'll see that in chapter 14, verse 1. But because of its essence, exercising love requires serious self-evaluation. What, what am I most concerned about? It requires motive purification. What am I really after in life? And a breaking of old habits of selfish decision-making. You know, I, I find that for me, and again, I, I mentioned this before, we can look at this list of things and we could say, oh, well, I need to resolve to do better and I need to be more patient with people and I need to have, you know, and I, I, you know, you could look at these verbs and try to do these verbs, but if you try to just do these verbs, you might be able to do it for a short period of time but it won't last. The only quality <laughs> that can cause these verbs to happen consistently is love in your heart. So this, these are fruits of love. If you don't see these fruits, the fruits of these verbs happening in your life, then what you need to say is, therefore, I don't get love. I'm not exhibiting love. I am selfish. So then you've got to get back to the root. Okay, if God's criterion is without love, I am nothing. I have nothing. I've accomplished nothing. If I look at these qualities and say, man, I'm not doing it. This ain't happening. Well, then I need to get back to the root and ask myself the question, why am I not exhibiting love? What is missing? Because as the next verse says, charity never faileth. Charity, true love, this is what it does. It's what it always does. This is how love works its way out in your life. And really, my wife, as we were talking about this this morning, she said, okay, well then, how do you get love? How do you exhibit love in your life? And I guess as I was thinking about it, I was thinking of two things. Number one, it's got to be the love of Jesus in your heart. And yes, we understand that the love of Jesus flowing through us is a matter of yielding to him, surrendering to him, 
And yet at the same time, I think if we just put it in those terms, once again, like I said at the beginning, familiarity is the enemy of increasing understanding. And I think if we just term it, put it in those terms, I think sometimes we can say, oh, okay, I know how to do that. And then we don't really think about it any further, okay? And I guess to put it this way, the best way, as I mentioned at the very beginning, is to dwell on the love of Jesus, to really meditate on how he sacrificed for you and for me. I can't help but think, in fact, I was, met, I was wrestling back and forth with which passage to preach this morning, because this was my burden. Don't turn there, but in Philippians 2, it says, listen, if you've experienced this, 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 and this, well then, hey, listen, make me a happy apostle, okay? Don't be all about yourself. Don't look every man on his own things. Don't be all about your business alone, but you need to be about the good of others. Look at Jesus. Let this mind, let this way of thinking, let this perspective be in you. Guess what? Jesus had all the rights of God. He had the prerogative to sit pretty in heaven for all of eternity and to let us all die and go to hell. He could have enjoyed the comfort of all that went along with that, but instead he let go of his rights. He let go of his privileges and he committed himself. He committed himself to go all the way to see others through to forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's really, as we meditate on the activity of Jesus for you and me, as we depend on Jesus to live out that love through us, um, that's really the only pathway uh, to seeing love exhibited in your life. Now, there's a couple other things I want to mention here, and there's a whole lot of theological discussion about the end of chapter 13. I really don't want to get into it. If I can say I'm going biblical theology here today, Dr. Paul, okay? Um, he says here in verse 8, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Those things are temporary measures for the present. Charity is something that by its essence and results will last forever. Okay? Um, in fact, um, uh, he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. My purpose here is not to give a theological position, a position at all. It's just to try to explain the chapter. Let me read what I have written for those verses. Love isn't going away every, ever. Everything else might stop in the world, spiritual gifts, preaching, etc. All the things we get wrapped up in and focused on now and rightly so. We need to put them all in their proper perspective. They are not the end goal of our lives. They merely point towards that end goal. When that end goal is realized, those other things will have served their purpose and be no more. What is the end goal? And I guess as I'm looking at this chapter and looking at the purpose of this chapter, the end goal, what he's aiming his readers towards is love. That is the climax of spiritual maturity. Exhibiting love in your life, being more concerned for the good of others than for yourself. 
Um, Look at verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Um, I I put it like this, and, and I don't know, I may be off on this, but it's like potty training. When I wrote this, we were in the midst of potty training with my daughter. And you know what? You'll learn this one day. And those of you that had little siblings, you know this. When you've got potty training, you've got a lot of equipment that goes along with it. The little tiny potty that sits on the floor. You know what I'm saying? The little thing. Um, you've got you know, diapers on hand and all kinds of other things that go along with it. But you know what? If those uh, accoutrements to potty training are still around and being used 10 years later, you've got a problem. Either uh, with your parenting or with yourself, depending on which side of the equation you're on. It's like potty training. There are things that serve their purpose until the goal is reached. Potty charts, M&Ms, special potty seats, and special pull-up diapers. Brothers, we are potty training. That is what we are What we're after hasn't happened yet. Our training is incomplete, but there will come a day when it will all be over and our purpose realized. And in that day, three things will be still left standing. That's what the next verse is talking about. Um, Now abideth faith, hope, charity. Three things will still be left standing, faith, hope, and love. All the other things like spiritual gifts and preaching will be no longer needed All and of the three, love beats them all. The greatest of these is charity. I guess as I'm I'm looking ahead to this coming week, and as I'm looking at the opportunities that we have to invest in the young people, I want to challenge you now. Do some self-assessment. Ask yourself the question, why do I do what I do throughout the day? Are the verbs of verses 4 through 8 being exhibited in my life? Because if they're not, chances are your focus is where it shouldn't be. You really need to get your focus on Jesus and on his heart for others. Because in focusing on him and his desire to use you to do good for others, as you take on that heartbeat, as you own that heartbeat for the good of others, as you depend on Jesus to flesh that perspective out in your thoughts, in your words, and in your actions, what you'll find is the verbs of verse 4 through 8 will become evident in your life. You see, it's not about doing better. It's about finding true love. Because it is the criteria by which God assesses our success. It is the catalyst that causes those qualities, those verbs to happen in our lives. And it is the climax, the apex, the ultimate aim and goal of your spiritual growth and your place on this earth. Love will result in discipleship. Love will result in evangelism. Love will result in speaking the truth when the truth is what's good for that person, uh, that person that you're talking to. Love will make tough decisions to do good for others, but at the core of it, love is not about you. It's about Jesus and his concern and burden for others. Essential love, I hope this has been a help and a blessing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would bless the concepts and thoughts we talked about here today. I pray, Lord, that you would keep this thought before the hearts and minds of the young people. 
I pray, God, that there would be business done and that there would be really revivals in hearts happen as a result. Lord, we thank you for the scripture, how it diagnoses the needs of our heart. I pray, God, that you'd thrust us forward into great success next week in our ministry to the young people. In Jesus' name, amen.